Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of the Fan Effect Podcast, brought to you by our friends at the Megaplex Theaters, Utah's premier entertainment experience. I'm your host today, Kellyanne Halverson, and my co-host, Andy Farnsworth, is joining us via the phone today. Hello. Uh, hi. We're so glad we have you. And uh, we're discussing... Probably one of the most looked forward to films of 2021. Um, and we also have the great John Smith of the Arrow, uh, who has been just as excited to dive into this film as as we are. Wait, is great like synonymous with large? Is that a fat, <laughs> is that a fat joke? Is that great that meaning large, immense. We mean it in the pejorative sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's from well. The Simpsons. <laughs> One, two, four, six, eight. We think Homer Simpson's great. Great meaning large immense. We mean it in the pejorative sense. Ooh, pejorative. There you go. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I can already tell this is going to be a fun show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I would say after Top Gun moving to next year, this is probably the most uh, anticipated nostalgia yes. you know, sequel franchise thing. Yes. Um, we'll maybe, set aside MCU. Maybe even more than Bond, maybe. Ooh, maybe. I yeah. can tell you there were, there were two movies I was looking forward to in summer of 2020, and Top Gun and Ghostbusters were were both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, when when COVID hit, the, among the many tragedies that we uh, endured in 2020, uh, having those two movies pushed was among the top five things that went wrong for me personally. Right, and just kept getting farther and farther and farther out. But this one is finally here. And well, Ghostbusters uh, almost got pushed again. I mean, that was the big concern up until mid-October, honestly, mm-hmm. was was it going to get bumped to next year? And then instead, it only got bumped by a week from the 11th to the 19th. And so uh, well, we got relief, and, and here it is. And well, there, there, that's the film we're talking about. We're talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife today. And this will hold me over for the next 189 days, 12 hours, 44 minutes, and 33 seconds until Top Gun 2 comes out. There Did you, you just go. look that up on the computer? I have a countdown constantly <laughs> I <knew running>. it. <laughs> I have a countdown to next Halloween. Does that, does that count? Yes. Same thing. <laughs> Uh, so this is the latest continuation of the Ghostbuster series, um, and it takes place about 30 years after the first one. Uh, where oh, wait, a- we need to get this clear. Are we going to spoil? We're going to at some point. Are we going to do it early or are we going to do it later? We're going to do it later. This first segment is spoiler-free. Okay. Spoiler-free. Mm-hmm. And the rules for that I use for this is if it's in the trailer, it's up for talking. Like. Everyone is anticipating. Everyone's seen it. That's kind of my my rule of of what is a spoiler and what is not. We agree? We're good? Done. Agree. Okay. 
So this latest Ghostbuster film, it takes place about 30 years after the original. Um, and this time, it's a new generation of go- of Busters. They take up the call to fight those pesky visitors beyond the grave. Um, and I'm excited. So essentially, it's real time, real lifetime from, oh, yeah. you know, they, they count the original Ghostbusters as 1984. Mm-hmm. That's in the trailer, too, when they're watching, I think, the uh, YouTube videos of, of the original commercial. And so uh, this is like real time, 1984 to 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So and it's a whole new generation. It has a different feel to it and everything like that. Um, and I'm excited today because, John, you mentioned something uh, at the screening afterwards when we were chatting that just I thought was awesome. You had actually seen the script for this? Well, I, I caught a leaked script uh-huh. uh, Such late a cheater. 2019. <laughs> and I'm a guy that, I you know, I, I adore spoilers. Like, I love knowing everything I possibly can about a movie before I go in. <laughs> Uh, so I, oh, I used to be my, like my sister you. won't even watch trailers most of the time. Oh my gosh, you're missing out. I mean, you're missing out on that anticipation. <laughs> so, I mean, there were a few things that were different and you never know. Like a lot of times you'll find a leaked script and you'll go into a movie and you'll be like, oh, well, that was, I, I had a fake. Like that was a, the <laughs> script that I have is pretty much identical to what oh, we saw. Cool. Uh, there were a lot of things in the script that didn't make it into the movie, but everything in the movie was in the script. Okay. So, so I can't wait till when we get to the spoiler part or whatever. You can tell us a little, yes, little bit more. Yes, absolutely. About that. <laughs> See, right. The way my brain works is I fixate on all the details. So I'm just like, oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, where's that? I, I learned that with Revenge of the Sith, where I watched all the trailers so many times that by the time I watched the movie, I was like, oh shoot, I've already seen this part. Oh, I've already seen this part. <laughs> and then I, by the end, I was like, dang it, I kind of stole all the thunder for myself. Well, this character can't be dead because I haven't seen this scene that we saw in the trailer yet. (laughs) Oh, I hate when things in the trailer don't appear in the film. (laughs) I'm still mad there wasn't sharks in Pirates of the Caribbean because there were sharks in the original trailer that came out. I'm still mad that... in Rogue One, that director Krennic didn't stroll across the beach during the the battle. On uh, oh, they took so much. They did so many reshoots on that movie, dude. I know. <laughs> he had the hard drive on his belt. We're getting. I, I mean, we're beach. getting way off topic, we're but so there was. I don't so care. Many, that movie would have been so much better Wars for me. <laughs> oh, every time goes back to Disney for you and Star Wars for for. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every reverse time. it. Reverse Every it. Time. Me, Disney. You but actually, ours. I've actually come to the point where I won't watch the trailer within a month of the movie coming out. Like, I'll watch the wow. trailer a bunch, but then about a month before, I won't watch it anymore just so that I can have as much a fresh moment as possible. When I watch, them. I will get on YouTube and I will watch all the like breaking down every little detail from a trailer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I will say this without spoiling too much. Uh, knowing what was in the script made mm-hmm. the movie better for me because there were certain parts that I noticed in the movie that I know Andy didn't catch. Ah. Uh, that they don't really explain in the movie, yes, but I, I noticed say. because it was in the script. So let's get in a little bit more of um, what this, the summary plot is, just so people who haven't, you know, really watched the trailer or know what's going on, they they can they can get a little bit of that there. Um, so basically, uh, there is a. A mother and kids that are going to the farm of a recently deceased grandfather. Um, so while the other Ghostbusters take place in New York City, this is 
out in the countryside. It's more family. Um, and they're able to discover kind of a, a mystery going on. The, the young daughter does. And they're able to just kind of learn about the supernatural phenomenon and, and fight ghosts and things like that. So um, that's basically what we've seen in the trailers of the plot summary. Do, do you guys feel like that's not giving away too much there? Yeah, I think we're good so far. Okay. And some kids discover some ghost busting stuff. Yes. And Paul Rudd's in it. Um, one of the, the best parts of it, in my opinion. <laughs> The world's sexiest man of 2021. Next to me, to people. of course. Oh, there you go. I thought we just made fun of you for being great. Well, I mean, great. John missed the cutoff by like three days. I did. Well, I didn't, totally return my, I didn't return the email in time. Uh, so, oh, that's fantastic. Um, for your consideration. They went They went with Paul. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> um, but but what's wonderful at the film is is there's so much wonderful nostalgia in it. Like you have uh, – you've seen in the trailer the, the glimpse of the Ecto-1, uh, the ghost-busting mobile. We have the proton packs, ghost traps, all sorts of wonderful uh, throwbacks to the first, the technology and everything like that. And, oh, I just loved it. I just loved it. Well, if they hadn't, then there would have been an incredible outcry. <laughs> Which we noticed I mean, in, in 2017. I mean, that was... They did make some tweaks mm-hmm. to some of the equipment, which I don't remember if that was in the trailer, so I won't say what in this part. But there were some tweaks, um, you know, some updates to the equipment from 1984 that they would, wouldn't have had back then. Although they didn't even, in real life, have unlicensed nuclear accelerators on their backpacks. <laughs> well, they do so have a half-life of 5,000 years, so I mean... <laughs> The proton cells, I mean, they're, they're still good. When you bring up the nostalgia, though, that's always the danger. I mean, this mm-hmm. is like a really fine line that franchises like this that have such a popular uh, following and such a love from a, a generation before. You've got to be really careful because it, it it's an easy trap to fall into to, uh, you know, go overboard on callbacks or mm-hmm. uh, nostalgia which for some fans, you can't. There's no such thing as going overboard on that. Um, but there's also the challenge of, you know, you got to make something. And I, it seems to me, at least from what I've read over the years and from what I've seen other directors and people actually in Hollywood talk about, they're not interested usually in making a movie that's just a redo of what it was before. Unless it's something, you know, specific, like when Gus Van Sant wanted to remake Psycho for some reason, and he wanted to do it exactly the same way as before. But usually if it's like a sequel or, or a reboot, they don't want to do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Because then people are like, well, I've already seen this. Um, and the directors don't want it because they they, they want to add their particular stamp or freshness to it. So it's only really been, and I would, and correct me if you think uh, I'm not right on this, but since maybe 2007 or eight, I mean, I'm thinking of the Star Trek reboot by J.J. Abrams in 09. That's when they took an intellectual property that everybody knew really well redid it and then retold it but then even in that they had to figure out how to walk the line between this is new stuff but we we have to sort of show people that we've preserved the original canon we're not just writing over it and it's it's since then that it's been much more of a you know pedal to the metal for studios in trying to reboot intellectual properties like terminator we've had mm-hmm. recently we've had uh, you know ghostbusters we've got top gun coming we've already talked about that star wars i mean look all at of Cruella, the look properties. at maleficent look at all these these different ones that have come back in in an, another reboot or another form in an era where ip is so fractured like mm-hmm. everyone has something and where there are so many sources to watch things the ip has become so important because there you're guaranteed a certain number of eyeballs just by making something mm-hmm. 
Well, I think that's the whole thing is the success of the Star Wars sequels um, and even going back a bit farther is what has spurned on all these reboots and sequels to films that are, you know, 30 years in our past. Um, But at the same time, like if this is what the audience are asking for, this is what they're getting. Um, And what I liked about this one is, you know, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife really is the nostalgic sequel that audiences have been wanting. Um, I know some critiques are saying it's it's a bit painful. Pandering. Like it's getting shredded, and I hate that. On I the, loved uh, it. Like, like the like the the major press outlets, like CNN mm-hmm. and USA Today and Deadline, are oh my gosh. shredding the movie for this exact reason. Ugh. And like me and Natalie of the Pop Knowledge Bob uh, blog, we're talking about this yesterday. It's like I feel like because of COVID and everything, people just become so critical, or maybe even the oversaturation of media in the market. And I'm like, no, I this show Afterlife was beautifully nostalgic it wasn't just the same story it's a new generation it's different locations where it's farm versus city uh more family dynamics versus friends dynamics you've got kid ghostbusters instead of growing up ghostbusters like it is it, it was it's it's what audiences have been wanting for a nostalgic sequel um, and I just loved it. The music was amazing. The production was amazing. I loved those those kid actors, the teen actors, and everything. They really acted. McKenna Grace like their was ages. really good. Finn Wolfhard, he's from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. McKenna Grace is in that new series, or she's in one of the episodes of the new series, uh, Just Beyond on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. But she looks a lot older because I think they filmed this one in 2017 or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, she's this movie's 15. been sitting on the shelf no. for a while. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. a little <laughs> irritated that McKenna Grace isn't doesn't get top billing in this movie. Yeah, it's Finn. Because she is the star of the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, she right, is Finn clearly the, the Ghostbusters. when they brought him in. That's true, because Stranger Things 2 or 3, Stranger Things 3 had just wrapped. Yeah, that does make sense. But, like, now, even even the idea that McKenna Grace, uh, she plays Phoebe, a 12-year-old science kid in it, which, oh, we all just Look, loved. I mean, come on, look at who she looks like. You're not going to have any trouble figuring out if she's related to a Ghostbuster. They reveal it. The glasses, the glasses, they they reveal it in the trailer. <laughs> Because she pulls out a Spangler uh, uh, That's right. the... jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. Jumpsuit, right. <laughs> but like, By the way, the were fact... those the jumpsuits from the original one uh, of, movie? One of them was. Um, because in the cartoon, we've learned that those jumpsuits from the original movie became inhabited with all the uh, ectoplasm and the spirit stuff. And the uh, Ghostbusters had to fight themselves in the fourth episode. Of <laughs> That's very true. Oh, good call. Oh, wow. Fourth episode. This is why I, I love chatting with you guys, because you know all these little details. Well, if we're pulling in the real Ghostbusters, which are canon. And that's canon, where Clymer joined up. Uh, the, those are canon in this, because Somerville, Oklahoma, is revealed in season one as Egon oh, Spangler's hometown. There we go. Which I feel like isn't. From. I feel like that's not a spoiler either. Oh, we're getting to spoiler chart chart. Okay, guys, let's <laughs> – we're just too excited. Okay, let's really f- quick – let's just wrap up. Look, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if anybody's going to listen to this before they've seen the movie because they're just going to be afraid that we'll spoil it. So we will Can we just spoil it from here on out? Can we just say from here on out? But I promised at the beginning. Here, let's real quick just do a – Well, we've made it, what, Should four or five see? minutes now? We're 13 minutes like in. 13 minutes I, in. So oh, we can okay. go to the next segment. We I feel like to... we've been generous here. Oh my gosh! You're going to lose control. I've totally lost control. I'm not even on the board. I can't even control anything. Um, okay, here's the final thing for good break. Did you like it? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Go see it. Okay, I liked kids. it a lot. Get them addicted. My but seven-year-old think- daughter loved it. By mm-hmm. the way, she loved uh, the Phoebe character, the Mechanic Grace character. She adores this movie. We can't wait to go see it again. Oh, have you she, shown she, her the Girl Ghostbusters movie? 
Uh, no, because there's, I mean, there's a lot of, um, a little too strong. in There's a lot of, there's a lot of PG 13 humor in that, that I don't really want to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, even the original two were a little borderline, ones, whoa. uh, but they were kind of over her head, but with the, yeah, this one was definitely more kid friendly of a Ghostbusters movie, but even it's... than the original, the original, I mean, the original came out when I was nine and I saw it the same year, but it was one where my, I believe, if I remember correctly, my parents were a little bit back and forth. My dad really wanted us to see it. And my mom had thought there was a little too much language and stuff in it. Yeah. And so we did end up, but I, I do think this was a lot more language friendly for the kids than the original Ghostbusters mm-hmm. was. Well, and this one is PG-13, but it's for supernatural action and some suggested references. So it's it's not like... Well, the original of... would have been PG-13 if the rating existed at the time. Yes, it didn't come out until yes, the next yes. year. <laughs> Thank you, Gremlins. <laughs> All the it was Temple movies. of Doom as much as the Gremlins. Temple of Do- Temple of Doom and Kalima. Red Dawn were retroactively rated Kalima. PG-13. It was Gremlins that actually got the rating. Oh, God, that was the first one that yeah. got the rating? And then they retroactively uh, applied it to Temple of Doom and, uh, and Red Dawn. Well, they might have. They should have maybe done that for Ghostbusters 1, too. Um, as well, and not in... Yeah, whatever. Okay. They did it for Ghostbusters 2 for that, you know. That was, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and we'll close up this sec- section because all of us are dying to really get into details yes. and get into spoilers. Spoilers! Um, let's do it! <laughs> we're going to be right back with a spoiler-filled conversation after this break. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, it's time to talk spoilers here on Fan Effect. Woo-hoo! I'm Andy Farnsworth, Kellyanne Halverson, and John Smith from Arrow 103.5 in Salt Lake City. And uh, all right, guys, now we can start. Uh, if you're listening at this point, it's your own fault if we spoil the movie for you. Listen, there's not a whole lot that needs to be spoiled. I mean, the toys kind of the toys came yeah. out, and and we see that they made action figures of the three living Ghostbusters. And they made it in scene. the last trailer as well. In the final trailer, you see their boots. Yeah, and you can that totally where they And you hear, you hear Bill Murray say, mm-hmm. hey, have you missed us? Mm-hmm. So you know that, so that you know at this point that they're in it. And if Answer anyone looks at question. IMDb, you'll see their names. You'll see all of that. So. <laughs> have you missed them? Did yes. You, yes. Okay. Real quick, though, before I move on further, did you see that Ernie Hudson, his character is listed as Dr. Winston uh, Zedmore? He's a doctor now. He's a doctor as he well. He got his PhD. He got his PhD. I was going to say it's probably a PhD and not a medical degree. Still, still. So fun fact <laughs> that that was actually the original ending 
of Ghostbusters 1. That was how Ghostbusters 1 was supposed to end. It would jump into the future. It would and he's jump like into a... the future, and he's the CEO of Ghostbusters oh, the, Incorporated. Oh, the final cut, cut scene? The final the, cut scene? Yeah. Okay. That, was actually a, uh, that was actually a reference to the original Ghostbusters ending cool. that never got filmed, oh. which was Ghostbusters Incorporated, uh, and it was – Winston Zedmore was – Dr. Winston Zedmore was the CEO. All I know is that scene made me tear up a little bit, and I was right. so glad they put it in there. And it was so funny because after the first cut seat, everyone started leaving, and then people who'd seen it at the film at CinemaCon were like, "Stay, don't sit leave down, post credit seat." <laughs> I, Andy stopped me. I was getting up to leave, and he's like, "No, no, no, don't." He's, I'm like, "Come on, everybody's over the post credit <laughs> scenes by now." And this is no. the first movie I've seen in the theater since the pandemic started. Really? Yeah, I haven't wow. seen anything in the theater since. Wow. Well, Me too. We're Just glad. kidding. I've seen tons. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Andy are, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so here's the question. And, and since we've talked about the original Ghostbusters, that to me is what my generation wants to see. McKenna Grace is great. Finn Wolfhard is great. Um, Paul Rudd's great. All, all these things are fine. But I wanted to see Ghostbusters Afterlife because I wanted to see the Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters in their uniforms doing Ghostbuster things. Obviously, Harold Ramis had passed on, so they couldn't use him in the same way that they could use the other three. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see that, and, and they had to do that. Here's, again, where it comes to the challenge and that fine line you have to do when you're making a movie like this, when you're, when you're revisiting a beloved classic – one is we really missed the, let, let's be honest whether you like it or not or whether you like ghostbusters afterlife which you both did we've passed the window where seeing sequels to 80s movies doesn't look jarring when you see the characters again mm-hmm. yeah i don't wanna, disagree. I, I, I don't i don't always want to see you know an old harrison ford uh, looking like an old Harrison Ford, oh, I, I want right. to see. I want to see him like I remember him. Mm-hmm. Right, and so you, then you go back and you rewatch like uh, the the Fugitive or something. You think we could have had Han Solo or Indiana Jones at this when he was this age, and it just makes you feel like why couldn't why couldn't Hollywood <laughs> get this reboot the this <laughs> reboot bug like a decade and a half ago? But mm-hmm. but it's hard. It, it, it's always hard to see a character you've loved be really old on screen you want to see it but then as soon as you do you're just like i felt that way about uh, this i felt that way about star wars i felt that way about what was the other one it was just within the last year there was a reboot sequel and it was just like so hard oh well, it wasn't a sequel, but seeing Clint Eastwood as old as he was in Cry Macho, uh, that was, Cry that Macho. was kind of hard. And he, I he's go in a cowboy to, movie in the 70s, and uh, he looks like he's got a foot in the grave. I went I to Mexico. A, <laughs> I think that if the age of uh, the actor matches the age of the character in the film, I'm okay with it. Like this one, it literally was 30 years later, so of course they look 30 years older. You know, I'm, right. I'm okay with that. But what I'm saying is, that what I want to see, I want to see them be Ghostbusters again. Yeah, I'm fine true. with them creating a new set of Ghostbusters, but there's almost a part of me that would have preferred if McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard and all those guys did everything Ghostbustery without the originals. I, I mean, I'm fine with mm. it, but it was the same thing I felt after I finally saw the end of the sequel trilogy to Star Wars. It was like, you know what? I think this would have done better if they had just left the legacy characters out altogether and just started fresh. Uh, if you're going to use the legacy characters, now that we've had enough of these movies where they bring them back, you need to just make them about the legacy characters. 
And I mean, this, this movie would have been all fine in. all on its own. That's yeah, that's yeah. the thing. And it was a little jarring when they they popped in at that moment um, to save the day, right? Uh, and that's the, a directorial thing. Like they don't want the movie to be about the classic because they want to build the new thing. This is again where real world Hollywood kind of creeps in and tries right. to change things. That's what J.J. Abrams said was like, as soon as I bring a legacy character on screen, it almost shifts the movie to be about them. And and he's right, but. Kind of, that's what we want. I mean, that's why people went crazy when Luke Skywalker didn't do Luke Skywalker stuff until The Mandalorian. That's what we wanted to see was that Luke Skywalker, all the longtime fans. And so then people were upset when it wasn't. So I'm glad in this one, the Ghostbusters got to be Ghostbusters. They got to do their thing. And, you know, if I I had a complaint, they did the same thing as they did in the original (laughs) movie. Literally the same thing. But it goes back to what the audience wants, though. (laughs) You know what? You can you can do that same movie ten times, ten different ways, and tell me the same story, and I will watch and love every single one of them. I well, agree with you. And it, and it did become very meaningful towards the end because you know it wasn't just the, the three remaining Ghostbusters, but oh, I teared up when Egon's Egon. ghost showed up. Oh my gosh! And it was done so well, and like. It was almost understated, uh, and so it it was just a beautiful moment of family bonding, of friendship. I love the the kind of the side eye look that all the the other Ghostbusters give him. <laughs> How uh, were you thinking that one of them was like, "What if I fired my proton?" Back I was out? just going to say, "What if he accidentally got caught in the trap?" <laughs> See, yeah, that he, was a pretty big risk when he's got a trap underneath the whole farm and he's trying to suck in a ghost. Why wouldn't he get sucked in with it? I wondered about you know, there's this this famous off screen feud that Harold Ramis and Bill Murray had. Um, and you notice... Isn't that part of the reason that it's taken so long for Ghostbusters to be revisited in any real way? Of, well, Bill Murray each complained of them about... Has, like, I don't know this. control, right? Well, yes. Bill Murray was was furious about Ghostbusters 2. Because oh, it wasn't the right script. Right? It, it wasn't what he was given. He was given a different script. And so he got on and they filmed the movie and he hated Wait, it. And what? He, that I did mm-hmm. not know. Oh, yeah. No, this is a legendary tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bill Murray has done nothing but trash Ghostbusters 2 for the last... I don't even know years. if it's part of this canon. Like, was, well, that's that's it. A, it, seem it like is. It, was. it mm-hmm. is, and I okay. can okay. I can tell you why. Okay. But there was. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, but the you have Harold Ramis's ghost, uh, Egon's ghost, show up, and and Ray says something to him, and Winston says something to him, but Peter doesn't say anything. He, he just kind of he just kind of glances at him, mm. and I wondered if they were going to because they did they they did hash it out right before Harold Ramis died. But I wondered if they were going to put that on screen at all, and they didn't. And I thought that was cool that they just kind of wow. left it as a loving a loving glance. Wow. Well, in talking about the script issue, Bill, Bill Murray he returned to this, and he said the reason he gave that because he'd refused. After for years, ago. years and years and years, he said the script is good. It's got lots of emotion in it. It has lots of family in it with lines that are really interesting. It's gonna work. Yeah. Um. And I think that's that's the big thing is the script he got was the script that we saw basically. Right. So, um. But that's interesting. I didn't know there was an actual feud between those two because of that. So, well, there was a feud between Harold Ramis and Bill Murray because of uh, the filming of Groundhog Day. Oh, okay. So, okay. and the two Ramis directed that, for, right? Ramis directed Groundhog. Day. Oh, and drama. Bill Murray was was apparently not happy with something, and the two got in a big fight and never spoke mm-hmm. uh, until until Harold Ramis died. Wow! So it like that feud went 
on. That's crazy because you always think of Bill Murray as so kind of happy-go-lucky, roll with it oh, type personality. No, he's the, the Murray that's really? screen personality. Uh, the, the Bill Murray king. I always that's, see like, all uh, these social posts of like Bill Murray showed up at our party and like things like that. So you're that's talking crazy. about a guy that's never had a talent agent. He has a one eight hundred number. It's one eight hundred Bill Murray. <laughs> And you call and you give him your pitch, and if he likes it, he'll call you back. And that's okay. the way he's done it since the 70s. That's kind of awesome. And and he only takes projects that he likes. He only takes Wes likes. Anderson's calls. Oh, Apparently. And he, he has had a longstanding rule of no sequels. That's why he wasn't in Meatballs 2. Mm-hmm. That's why he was really hesitant to do a Ghostbusters 2. Uh-huh. Uh, he did Garfield 2, which apparently which he, the, I thought he didn't even want to be in Garfield 1. Like, oh, he well, did it oh, for well. his daughter. He did it for his daughter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> side, side note on that. Uh, Bill Murray's uh, or Peter Venkman's character in real Ghostbusters was voiced by Lorenzo Music, who was the voice of Garfield in the cartoon. Yes. So it flipped. Bill Murray. <laughs> that was a fun little thing. Bill Murray complained. They fired Lorenzo Music and hired Dave Coulier to oh, voice Peter wow. Venkman because he said, my character sounds too much like Garfield. Mm-hmm. And then, Which he did and every kid knew at the time. Oh, totally. And then he goes back and then Bill Murray is Garfield. What is happening? I so love The that. day they announced Bill Murray is Garfield, that was the same connection I made. Oh, my gosh. Like it's, That's the connection. And now it's come full circle. Is anybody still listening to this? Are, are, have we lost everybody at this point? We either lost everybody or all the people that like lo- love your guys' personality are just like, yes, people let's keep talking about learning this. Things. If you're they still listening, thank it. you. No, I do have a question for you, John, as far as Ghostbusters, like, lore and trivia time. Uh, And that was, I cannot remember, and now that I've got your attention. (laughs) And I remember it, I'll just interrupt, don't worry. Well, let's go back to some of the details of, is is this pandering? How is this this related to Ghostbusters 2? Yes, go. Oh, how is this related to Ghostbusters 2? The sign for Ray's occult books, which we see from inside the store in Ghostbusters Afterlife is mm-hmm. the same sign that we see in Ghostbusters 2. But is that the only one, though? That is the only reference to Ghostbusters I was watching. 2. I didn't see anything. And, you know, yeah, because I feel like that would have come up when the they were trying disappeared. to discuss Ghostbusters history also. I when the, didn't have the, the Ghostbusters with the two right. fingers holding up on, on the emblem of the... And there was a different the Ecto Ectomobile. One. The Ecto-1 yeah. in uh, in Ghostbusters 2 was, was different a. than... It was a different car. Was different car. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. two Ectomobiles. It was a different car. Car in in Ghostbusters too. So I assumed yeah, they just like was no we're Bobby gonna Brown set this aside this and just jump over into. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's that is literally the only reference. And granted, I've only seen the movie one time, and I will watch it again and again. I and rewatched again. it. This is the only oh, reference yeah. I could find to Ghostbusters too. Because okay. I feel like it wasn't part of it. Because it seemed because they, when they talked about the New York incident, it was a New York incident, not the New York incident. The Manhattan Crossroad of nineteen eighty four. Right, and they ne- and like even when it was written above Gozer's, which Gozer again, <laughs> um, when it was written uh, across Gozer's temple at the mining shaft, there wasn't another like nineteen eighty nine uh, marking up. Yeah, right. and you'd think but, that the Statue of Liberty marching through Manhattan would have made it into some reference would have been when memorable. they're looking through the history of the Ghostbusters. You'd yeah. that to me was the biggest telling thing that they just sort of pretended. That the <laughs> Ghostbusters two never existed, and that may have been a condition to get Bill Murray on board. I don't know. I mean, Dana Barrett mm-hmm. was in that post credit scene and didn't show anything about her kid being grown up. Oscar, mm-hmm. um, I you know, 
The, I, the Annie Potts character went back to the Ghostbusters 1 version. She was yes. very different in Ghostbusters 2. And her last name was the same. She wasn't with Tully or anything like that. So, it, yeah. yeah. I think in my head, Candid, until someone else proves me wrong, If they you read it. the script, she's married to one of them. <gasps> but her last name... Would have been Zetamore had they stuck to the script. Uh, well, she see, married Winston. She married Winston. Oh my gosh! Okay, because I I looked at that specifically. I was like, okay, what's the last name of her character? Because I was wondering if she was married to to Tully, but no, she oh married. Well, she Winston. said Melnitz. She said Melnitz in the uh, she movie. She did. Yeah, but she just herself. probably kept her last name then. So yeah, she she's very woke. Andy, come on, man, get with the times. <laughs> Really no, I'm just saying she name. didn't. She did give us her last name in the movie, and in it wasn't movie. Zedmore yeah, or yeah. Spangler. In fact, I'm sure everybody totally. was listening to hear if it was going to be Spangler. But I thought, okay, right. we're going to get to this. I hope. But there's questions I have. That there's we so need many to questions discuss about plot things. But <laughs> any rate, um, I thought that the uh, coolest thing was um, I, to me. Like I love the nostalgia plays, so. I'm going to complain out. I'm going to complain out one side and compliment out the other side of my mouth on the same thing. I loved having the old Ghostbusters back. I loved the part where, "Are you a god?" <laughs> Ray has <laughs> that was so great. And like, "Come on, Come Ray, on, Ray. Like, what do you need this time?" And uh, yes. you know when they cross the streams and Gozer rips them apart. Because there was, was only three. Cool. The streams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, oh, instead of four, they instead needed four. four. They needed and then four. they got the fifth. Ah. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, like, those things were cool, even at the same time as once the Ghostbusters showed up, I wish they were in the movie more. I wish that we, you know, I, I, I feel bad for Bill Murray because his, his performance and his lines from the original were so iconic mm-hmm. that it's like in the office when Will Ferrell's talking to uh, – uh, to Ed Helms, and he's like, "You're the funny guy. Be funny." <laughs> and that's kind of like that's what we're all expecting from Bill Murray. Okay, Bill Murray's here. Be funny. What What are you going to say that's super funny? Well, and that's that's what he did, though, right? That, that's like if, I know, but I thought his impossible. lines were great. It's impossible mm-hmm. to live up to 30 years of anticipation. Light I thought it was fine, but it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to live up to that. Some of us will have room. Were his lines scripted in the original Ghostbusters, or did he improvise all that too? Uh, there, there, there was a script that he followed, uh, but he would often improv, and because it's you know because it's a comedy, uh, sometimes they would use his takes as opposed to the scripted. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and can we talk about the lines in this film? Like, there's so many new, fun, iconic lines. I I really think will be picked up into like the lexicon of 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 everything. Um, they were just so comedic. I I love the podcast kid, but maybe I'm a little biased because of podcast. <laughs> that kid <laughs> was bad. pretty awesome. He's I'm not getting lie. any media attention, by the way, and I really? think that's that's a disgrace because this oh. kid was hilarious. I think that'll change once the public finally gets to see it, though. I hope, because Mm -hmm. McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard obviously are getting the attention, as well they should, but... I think this kid is just as much a part of the movie as they are. Oh, definitely. Um, like, one of my favorite one is when they have the Aztec death whistle and he blows it. Can I keep it? And mom's like, yes. That just, was pretty funny. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> or um, the moment between him and uh, Dan Aykroyd, um, Ray. Uh, oh, I've listened to your podcast. You're, You're my really subscriber? You're my subscriber. You're my subscriber, yeah. Good. And even the awkwardness. Yeah, it's of, really got its voice about the 46th episode. <laughs> Like there's so I can many totally see there. Dan Aykroyd as a person being that guy. Like totally, you can tell that race dance. There's a lot of there's a lot of Dan Aykroyd in race dance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you watched the movies that made us about Ghostbusters, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Oh, I haven't okay. seen that yet. 
That's yes. on Netflix, I mean, right? So Dan Aykroyd was raised by paranormal scientists, essentially. So a lot of the a lot of the paranormal references he talks about the Tunguska Blast of eighteen oh nine. That's all real. Like that's those are so that's cool. all real existing stuff. Uh huh. Um, and and I think that's there's a lot of that in this movie too, where so, they. And that is that where like Gozer and everything came from? Like he actually knew the Sumerian mythology or something? Uh, there's a lot of that. Okay. I mean, obviously, I can't answer. I that want to say that Tobin's Spirit Guide is a real book. <laughs> Space <laughs> like, catalog. I think it is. Tobin's Spirit Guide. Tobin's Spirit. Is it a concept? I said up. spirit. <laughs> Murders, martyrs, and madmen. Yeah, we have to look up the uh, the name Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, speaking of Gozer and stuff, how do you guys feel that it was the same threat that from the first one, and the fact that. I, like, I thought everything was tied up really well in the first one, but then, oh, it really wasn't? Like, Well, I actually uh... thought that they cross the streams, Gozer goes back to the dimension. They didn't actually destroy it. They never said they did. Okay. They just essentially kept Gozer out of this dimension for that time. I Did you think that before this movie, though? So, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. No, and then once I saw it was going to be Gozer again, I thought, you know, they, they did a good job. They crafted a believable enough story. Mm-hmm. I mean, the selenium had to come from somewhere, so why not have it be a specific place? You know, the, when all, you said the, in the all the cartoons things... they had it, right? Well, in the cartoons, the. Um, the you want me to get really. You want to get. I'm, I'm just chopping with... at the bit here. I'm trying John to is like dying to say something. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get really deep on you here. Okay. Ready? This is like. I have, this so... is why it's called a deep dive, so go ahead. A lot of people are, are about like this with Star Wars and Star Trek. Ghostbusters is my jam. That's what I thought. That's what I wanted you on. So. Egon Spengler was raised very differently than other kids. He talks about this in both the Ghostbusters movies and the cartoon. Mm-hmm. So he talks about how we had part of a slinky. I straightened it. You know, <laughs> my parents didn't believe in toys. That's because he was raised in Somerville. Okay. Right now, Somerville is a very odd place. I got chills again. Uh, Somerville, Oklahoma, is the home of Evo Shandor Mining Company. Mm-hmm. Evo Shandor is the guy who mined the selenium, built the building. Conducted bizarre rituals Had the cold. to bring about the end of the world, and now it looks like it might actually happen. What a jerk! Uh, he was raised by by Gozer worshippers. Mm-hmm. He just didn't know it. Uh, That's why Egon is the way he is because he was raised in a town that is completely inhabited by Gozer worshippers. Wow. Somerville, Oklahoma. That's why when the earthquakes start, nobody looks surprised. They all just kind of walk outside. And then you see a scene where they're racing through the streets and everybody's gone. Mm-hmm. So I lean over to Andy. I'm like, you notice that there's no people. Where are all the people? They'd all in the script and in the original, probably the original shot, they had all gone to the mine to to, to, to be con- part of To it. conduct their, <sighs> their ritual. More chills. To bring back Evo Shandor, the guy that they had been. Because I was wondering that they never explained why all of a sudden he's alive right you mean lennon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think it's snow white but that's better <laughs> no it's mouse in his golden coffin <laughs> well so, lennon's actually in a clear one on display oh yeah gosh. in russia that's, that's hilarious i that's thought so it was cool. lennon for a second i was like what uh, i'm dying because like i have to leave in five minutes to go do radio and like john tell me more tell so, me more that's why that's that's why this town is so important. It's completely inhabited by Gozo worshippers. Mm-hmm. So in the script, 
They recruit Paul Rudd's character, Mr. Mister Goobler. Mr. What's his name? Gobbledygook? Gobbledygook. Gobble, I like that. Gobbledygook. Let's, let's just say that's what it is. They recruit a, a very prominent seismologist to be a summer school teacher and a gym teacher at Somerville Middle School. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know, but I'll take the paycheck. Dream job, right? So he comes, he takes the job, even though he has no interest in being a teacher, obviously, because they're paying him a ton of money. They did that because his character is the only living descendant of Evo Shandor. No. And they need him to make a sacrifice. So it's kind of a it's kind of a Joe versus the volcano. Uh-huh. Yeah, he didn't have to sacrifice much. He just had to sleep with Carrie Coon. That's there right. you go. Or at least third base, Ding. according to podcast. So- <laughs> go mom. Uh, go mom. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's part of the script that I wish that they'd left in. Mm-hmm. And knowing that watching the movie, I think the movie made a little bit more sense to me than it did to some of the other uh, do people. Do you still have the script? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that you could, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. And in my brain, it just sort of puzzled it together in he got offered money to be the teacher. Uh, he liked the idea, since he's a seismologist, of coming to investigate mm-hmm. where all these earthquakes had been happening, and he could do both things at the same time. That was that was how I sort of just puzzle pieced it together based yeah. on the bits of dialogue that are actually same, in the movie. Same but with me, yeah. Makes at sense. the end of the day, it's um, he's there for plot reasons. That's why <laughs> he's there for everything plot else reasons. Is just like he's there because he's adorable. Reasons. He's he's one of the, the he's the is he the key key master. Um, which was great. Yeah, think um, about that. It's... He's the Uber fan that represents us in the film. Like, it was great. It was Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer. <laughs> he never did get to say Vince Clortho, though. I was kind of sad. I was kind of bummed. I was hoping that the roles would be reversed. I wanted him to be Zool and uh, and Carrie Coon to be Vince <laughs> Vince Clortho. I was okay because I wanted that the dress. Funny. Like, I've always wondered where uh, Dana's dress came from when she's Zool. And, and like, now actually seeing it appear. Yeah, I screen. thought it was just from her closet. And then when it appeared on. Uh... On Egon's daughter, I was like, "Oh, so I it's thought, supernatural." Like, okay, curtain down or something. Just didn't she still have the red dress on when she climbs out of the uh, dog yeah. encasing in the original Ghostbusters? Oh, plot hole! Oh, plot hole! Plot hole! What happened? That's it. <laughs> Two thumbs down. Movie's out. <laughs> uh, can I, I say need it? Somebody you, point you me to the internet. Me to believe that that dress. <laughs> Is really just a part of the of the actual Vince worst movie and, ever. Anytime, as so we're gonna follow Zena's advice from Simpsons. Anytime you see something like that, an evil wizard did it. So we're <laughs> that that's okay. <laughs> so the wizard, I like that. That's because she got to keep her dress because as uh, Gozer was not destroyed. Gozer was merely sent that's back to true. the original dimension. That's true. And that portion remained. Mm-hmm. This and time, Gozer so really liked that dress, so he made sure. Or she, he, I guess it's not a he or a she. Very so woke Gozer for very woke sure. for a Sumerian age. Very woke for <laughs> that was a funny line. That was a funny line. My hands are tired, especially from since that one tied back to the actual line from the original. It wasn't like they just added it. It's whatever for it wants. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And and uh, okay, so I've got some plot hole questions. Do we want to do that now, or do we? Let, let's wait because I actually have to leave soon, so I want to get a couple things in before I take off. Um, I gotta look at my giant list here, and I'm so bad at remembering things. When I love them, I get so in the moment I can't remember. So these guys just have this huge list of my flow of thought from from um, what I wrote during it. Uh, Muncher, freaking adorable, right? I want Muncher. He makes the cutest noises, and I, I, I there has to be a plush. I'm gonna have to get 
the little mushroom, the little marshmallow people. Oh, little Stay Puffs! Oh, they were so. That cute. was awesome. And at the very, very end, you have the mini uh, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in the No Ghost logo. I've already made my T-shirt on a cricket. I've already, I've already bootlegged a T-shirt. I was just going to say, I want to find that so freaking bad. I looked all over. I was on Etsy. You, you need to hook already me up bootlegged with that. It. Hook me up with that. Um, let's see. Love the mom. There's no mom. There's only Zool. It was a little awkward when she came on the podcast. Yeah, but... Oh, speaking But of that, we all knew it was coming. If you've seen the original, you knew that oh, was yeah. going to happen. Right? Which is another point I want to make real quick. Uh, romance has evolved. How we write humpy. comedic I romance. I just love that line. So much. <laughs> Um, I loved, you know, I've always hated Bill Murray's character in the first one, basically, because how creepy he was with Dana, um, with uh, Sigourney Weaver. That's just the 80s, though. That's just an 80s. I know. And I'm trying to get past that as more of a child of the 90s. But um, I loved how romance has progressed, but it was still hilarious, the little moments between, uh, like, Paul Rudd and, and the mom in it. Um Ah, you guys have my notes. I have to go do radio. We're going to go ahead and My new end. favorite line ever came from that movie, by the way, is a Paul Rudd line where he said, science is punk rock. Right? It's the nipple. What is it? It the, is the, the safety pin ring. through the nipple of academia. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. So Science funny. is punk rock. I love it. And then when he jumps through the window shields uh, when he's running out of Walmart. <laughs> that was funny. That's already broken. <laughs> oh, I wish I could keep talking to you guys, but I have to move on. So I'm going to let Andre take over this last part. Save this. Go in depth because I can't wait to listen to this myself. I'll talk to you guys later, okay? All right. Thanks, Kelly. We'll take a break, and then we'll come back for final segment where we ask deep plot questions with John Smith, the Ghostbusters is my jam guy. And uh, if he fails to answer them, we can no longer take him seriously <laughs> as a Ghostbusters fan. <laughs> we'll be right back on Fan Effect. Welcome back. Final segment, Fan Effect Podcast. We're talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife and really Ghostbusters mythology. Uh, we did a podcast, actually, about Ghostbusters Answer the Call back in 2016, which I will, I'm not ashamed to admit, I actually enjoyed the movie. It wasn't perfect, but I, I thought it was funny. I thought it had great quotable lines. I thought it would have been cool, the, the post-credit scene that it had that sort of teased, the, you know, that Zool, because Zool's a trans-dimensional being, I thought that could have been cool in some way to connect the two together, but never happened, and that's fine because afterlife was wholly satisfying uh for me as a longtime fan and obviously for uh john smith from arrow 103.5 who's with us in this episode so john i threw down the gauntlet before the break that uh, as as a ghostbuster super fan i have no doubt you'll be able to answer any of these questions and at the very least if you don't know them, you'll sound convincing enough that i'll believe that you do i'll make something up <laughs> so here was some of the questions i had that maybe you know or we can just discuss if you don't know who is Carrie Coon's mom? Who is Egon's wife? Who's the mother of Egon's daughter and the grandmother of Egon's grandkids? Uh, I don't I, – I honestly don't know because And there's... when was it? Because she had – was she already around by 84? I mean was she born after 84? So the, the real-life actress was born in 82. So it's possible that she was already born – uh, and Egon had already had a daughter uh, in 1984 when the Manhattan cross trip occurred. Um, really, the only mysterious time in the Ghostbusters timeline is, 
you know, 1990, 1991 till about 1996. And that's when the Ghostbusters video game takes place. It's considered part of the canon. I have that game. I should play it. Yeah. it's And there's a story in there. There's a storyline. And it has all four of the original characters and, and their actual actors. Uh, and it is... It is part of the timeline. That's also, um, you know, because the, the Ghostbusters cartoon is is canon. Um, there's there's a a an, an episode of Extreme Ghostbusters, which I hate. Now that's one I have not watched. I've only uh, seen the real Ghostbusters. Not a big fan, but there is an episode where the Extreme Ghostbusters need help from the real Ghostbusters. <gasps> and Shut up. There's a cartoon crossover with the cartoon versions, uh, including the original voices. Uh, Lorenzo Music. Lorenzo Music, Arsenio Hall. Um, Dave Coulier. Dave, uh, no, Dave, Dave no, was no Dave. Dave was, Dave, was uh, season, Dave was season three and four of Real Ghostbusters. But okay. uh, so it had the, the actual, but it had the actual voices of the Real Ghostbusters come into an episode. Okay, I need to see that episode, episode now. Of, uh, and there's a line when you watch it on YouTube, you'll get the you'll get the real one. There's a line in there that is really inappropriate, but it's just hilarious because you have a, character, a line in a cartoon that's really inappropriate but hilarious yeah uh <laughs> so in the extreme ghostbusters you have a character that's that's in a wheelchair and uh you get you get them all cramped into the ecto-1 and ray sitting in the back seat goes man i hate sitting in the back seat i can't feel my legs and the guy in the wheelchair goes yeah i can relate <laughs> <laughs> and they that's cut good. it out when they released it on the special edition blu-ray but if you watch yeah, it on youtube sense. you can you can get the original version but, but that's yeah, funny. Super inappropriate joke, but but a funny but a funny line. Um, so that's really the only dark time we have in the timeline is, you know, early to the middle of the 1990s. Well, she couldn't have been born in the early to middle 1990s because she couldn't have a 16 year old in 2021 and have that timeline add up. So I would assume that she's already been born. Uh, by the time the Manhattan cross rip occurs. So here's the question. Did he abandon the family when he went to Oklahoma or did he abandon the family when he joined the Ghostbusters in 84? Uh, maybe he maybe he left his family to go to go study with, uh, you know, study parapsychology at uh, at New York University. You know, maybe he went to NYU and was was working on some things and they were having some problems. You know, you never know. That's true. And they didn't say in the movie, and it's probably for the best. But that was one that was, I mean, it was, you know, the phrase begs the question. As soon as you found out Egon had a daughter and a granddaughter, it begged the question, when did this happen and, and who was it? And, you know, especially because in the real Ghostbusters, Janine had a thing for Egon through the whole show. Right. Um so there was always sort of that hint that Janine and Egon would eventually, you know, I always thought they were going to get together. Uh, in, of course, the real Ghostbusters, I think, started in 85 or was it 86? Uh, 80, the, the, it premiered in 85. It premiered in 80, uh, late 84, I think December of 84. That soon, huh? Yeah. Okay. But at any rate, the, the Ghostbusters 2 didn't come out till 89 when then they sort of pushed Janine towards uh, Lewis, at least in the movie. Right. And... So I always just assumed as a kid that, you know, that's why I was paying such close attention when Janine showed up at uh, Egon's house. Like, does Carrie Coon not recognize her mom? Is Carrie Coon, is this not her mom? And if not, where was, where was, uh, is, you know, is, is mom deceased? Where, right. Where is it she? makes you wonder about everything. And then, you know, they did mention what happened to, uh, what's McKenna Grace's Phoebe's dad. They, what happened to Phoebe's dad? Ah, oh, he's not there. But, I 
didn't know what had happened. Like it was too prominent a thing for them and, not and to she referenced it. it so many times about how she hated her grandpa. Well, where was her grandma? When did this happen? You know, you're making a movie for people who have <laughs> literally studied the Ghostbusters for 30 years. <laughs> We're going to have some questions. So, you know, even if it was, I, I just felt I was a little frustrated that they didn't address that because to me, it's still a gaping question that I want to know the answer to. Maybe they'll answer it in a future thing. I felt like they set the door for a sequel. What about this you? is uh, this is kind of one of those. Oh, they definitely set the door for a sequel. And this is kind of one of those things where, uh, you know, like I mentioned when you and I went and saw the movie that I'm I'm kind of used to a much longer story uh, after watching, you know, Mandalorian and, and, you know, binge watching all of my favorite shows over the last two years on streaming services. I would have much rather this been a 10 part epic uh, on HBO Max than than a two hour movie. I wanted to see so much more. So had they, you know, had they been able to explore this a little bit more, you know, you know, but how many how many times do we see that in the 1980s where it's like they only have one pair? I mean, Toy Story, a great example. The Mighty Ducks, another one where it's like, well, we only we only have one parent. We don't really talk about where the other one went because maybe it's just too painful for that character to to bring up. No, that's true. That's a fair point. But it just seems like that especially since this was written by Jason Reitman. I mean, where's Jason granted, Reitman's mom through all of this? We yeah. Never, we, where we was she? Her. Anyway, we always hear about Ivan. Where's, where's Mrs. Right? Where's, where's Mrs. Nancy Reitman? <laughs> but I think that's, uh, I think I thought it was a fair question. It was, it was glaring. And I just, I was a little surprised that they didn't do something to even address it in passing or, I mean, I don't know. Did you not wonder the same thing? I honestly didn't. <laughs> Shut up. I just accepted it. I, I I didn't even think twice about it. Um, maybe like when they're when when she discovers Egon's family pictures, maybe maybe a a subtle reference to an unnamed character that we don't know would have answered that question, right? Where it's like, I okay, just, well, there's my a family biggest question was where she was she during 1984? Was she born? Like they could have answered it by just saying, oh. She wasn't born till later or, oh, dad had already left by then. Like once the kids were doing the inter- Internet research, I feel like that's a, a spot where mom could have said, yeah, well, you, you know, know, yeah, we're related to the famous guy. But I was he'd already left us by then. I'm reaching here, but there is in in uh, in the Ghostbusters timeline, uh, there is a, there is a part in the video game where they talk about how. Ray and Egon, before they meet Peter, they were kicked out of a school for trying to reanimate the dead. They were trying to bring somebody back to life. And and this happened in 1982, two years before the events of the Ghostbusters movie. Where is this mentioned in the video game? Uh, This is in the video game. Okay. And so they mentioned that two years before two years before we formed Ghostbusters, we tried to reanimate the dead. Yeah, we got kicked out of school. So maybe uh, maybe Mrs. Spengler passes away. And maybe she is the subject of the experiment. That's why there's no brothers or sisters. Uh, and that's why, you know, when that happens, Egon hangs his head in shame and pawns his daughter off on a distant relative somewhere. Now, you brought up some other questions that I have when, since we're talking about Egon and the fact that he was a Gozer worshiper or at least raised by them. Raised is by, that yeah. only from the script you read for Afterlife, or had you read that before? Somerville does exist in the canon. That's that's mentioned as his hometown in the car, in the cartoon. Um, but 
the but information about Somerville comes from the scripts, from the scripts that I read. Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. Because I was going to say, what are the odds then that Egon ends up at Gozer's thing in New York? Um, and the idea of reanimating the dead, that's essentially what uh, Ari, RV, who's the guy? The uh, one who designed the building and the Evo Shandor Evo Shandor his body was laying there literally waiting to be reanimated so that's interesting that Egon had tried to do that before in canon that that may anyway that's how he knew that's how he knew how to fight it that's a cool tie together if that ends up being a thing how about his idea where as soon as the 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 spirits rose to a certain point it triggered the uh the proton packs firing them back down I thought that was cool that was way cool and that's so – there's a part in the script where Egon knows that this is this is the gate that he has to go and he has to figure out. He, he discovers that this is the reason for all of the supernatural activity going on on Earth. Basically, all of the business that they're having as Ghostbusters originates from this temple in, in Somerville, Oklahoma. And it is his duty uh, to – to head it off at the pass, right? So that's why he steals all the stuff and goes and does it himself. And knowing that it would put the Ghostbusters out of business, which is why Ray says Egon can rot in hell. You know, it's because because he put the he he killed the dream. And Egon knew that uh, if they just sat there and let it just happen a little bit at a time, it would eventually overcome. It Earth. would get worse, right? Okay. How do you think this movie would have been different if Harold Ramis was still alive? I don't know that it would have happened. Uh, to to be honest with you, I really I, I I don't know. I think that sentimental tie-in. I think that that tragically, I think that is that is the thread that had to pull the the tapestry together. I don't know that it would have happened any other way. Interesting. What did you think of the CG that uh, recreated Ramus's look? I think I I personally believe that having him be a ghost was actually very helpful in getting over the uncanny valley portion because <laughs> the uncanny it, he's valley, a, yeah. because he's a ghost so if he doesn't look exactly right it's fine they were helped by the fact that he has a beard as a ghost because that helps with the facial stuff and he doesn't talk and he doesn't talk exactly and so that would have been that would have been a bridge too far he'd have spoken probably but it makes sense he's a ghost he can't talk i guess well I some some ghosts talk i mean Slimer did. Slimer talked. Muncher talked. I mean. <laughs> okay, so why didn't we get to see Slimer again? Do you think he's in the vault that was shown at the end of the post credit scene? Yes. You think Slimer's in there? Well, I don't know because uh, because obviously in the in the cartoon Slimer's their he pet. was their friend, right? And he got out at the end of the movie, and we never we we never see him again in the movies uh, because he was the yeah. But his was... origin story is the one where they where you see the thing about the the um, the haunted uh, suits from the original movie. And that explains why they were wearing colored suits in the uh, cartoon. Is it's, it's like episode four or five. It should have been episode one, in my opinion. But I it agree. Was episode four or five. My favorite uh, episode, by the way. Yeah. So you see how Slimer joined up, and it's when the Ghostbusters had to fight themselves, essentially ghost versions of themselves, wearing the uh, ecto-contaminated uniforms that were covered in like uh, marshmallow slime. <laughs> yeah. That was all ecto, uh, or I forget what the term is. It, but whatever. Ectoplasmic um, residue. Uh, yes, exactly. I love that episode. In fact, I think I missed it when it first aired because I saw it later and was like, how did I miss this episode? But that was a good one. And and that, uh, to me, 
explain where Slimer was, and he was in Ghostbusters 2, wasn't he? Slimer was, only for a minute. He had a cameo. <laughs> he right. was the I bus driver say, I know at the end. in it. And Lewis is like, okay, but showed up I didn't know how to your license. Um, no, I, I, you know, Slimer's off doing his own thing. He's off, uh, you know, he's he's off in Ghostland. Uh, well, they've got Muncher instead, who's an obvious Slimer knockoff. Right. Yeah, but Although Slimer's Slimer's fun. in ghost retirement. He's kicking back on a ghost uh, on a ghost beach. So who's in the uh, the trap or the big containment vault? Who's in there? Zool. Oh yeah. No. Oh, you mean at the end? Yes, I mean oh. in the one in New York. Who's oh. in there? I don't know. Um, it well, better not be Vigo the Carpathian. They, well, no, because they they blast Vigo. They don't. Uh, they destroy Vigo. They don't capture him. Um, maybe, well, cause you see Winston come back and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he put Zool in there. Who knows? No, I don't think they would have done that to show Zool. I feel like that shows they've got a ghost in there from their first time around and that, that containment grid's still working. Maybe it's the ghost jogger, <laughs> the capture in Central Park. Or the cab driver that looks like he's a corpse. That, who had that a cameo in this movie? Part. Did you that notice? That was the freakiest. Is he the one at the counter that starts talking? Yeah, same same ghost. That's awesome. I knew he looked familiar. <laughs> that was the one that freaked me out when I was a kid because he's a cab driver, and then the ghost goes up the tailpipe, and then he's a zombie, and I was like, uh. "Like what happened? <laughs> Could that happen to me?" That was what I was worried about. Oh no, nine years old. That's terrifying. Exactly. But uh, overall. A satisfying thing. Again, my my issues are kind of nitpicky. I get why national or international critics do the thing on the nostalgia. Um, I I don't know what to say to that because, of course, they're going for nostalgia. That's why there's a Ghostbusters movie in the first place. I don't know how they could go too heavy on it short of having the Ghostbusters be in the whole movie. Now, if they had done that and they fought Zool again, then I would have said, Okay, come on. You really couldn't come up with something newer than this. But at I least, also at least the they people... came up with a logical reason. Yes, it's not like agreed. it's not like Poe Dameron going somehow Palpatine returned. Like and that's just the explanation that <laughs> No, I I'm the same like I said I was one of the few people at the time Force Awakens came out that liked it but was also kind of like yeah, but really we couldn't like do something different than having to blow up the big planet killer. Like they couldn't come up with something besides another planet killer. It just happens to be larger. <laughs> and so that was one of my things that I disliked about Force Awakens was we've got this whole sandbox to do whatever. And we're going back to the same thing. And a lot of critics are like, oh, it calls back just enough to the original so that new audiences can jump on. I'm like, new audiences, <laughs> you can go back and watch the original. You don't have to watch. Yeah, we, we have one. It? It's called Star Wars A New Hope. We, exactly. we can watch it right now. Exactly. And so... If I had a thing, it would be – unless this is the start of a new story that they already have some story ideas and not just, oh, we're going to do this cryptic thing at the end that we can try to figure out what to do with after that. It's okay to me if they're just going to say Ghostbusters 2 never happened. This is sort of the spiritual – I mean, ha, ha, spiritual. Huh. The spiritual successor to the original Ghostbusters, and now we have something we can go forward from here. They didn't battle Zool the exact same way. I was a little surprised he didn't ask for what's the what was the form of the destructor you wanted to choose. Because um, since that was such a specific thing about every time that uh, Gozer comes back, Gozer asks 
or sends the, the destructor in a form. And thankfully, Ray thought of the Stay Puft Man. <laughs> they, but we think of J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover will come and kill us. So empty your heads. Empty your heads. That choice is made. What? <laughs> what? Uh, I didn't choose think anything. Do <laughs> you choose anything? <laughs> and then Ray's got that sheepish look on his face. Ray, what did you do? Funny us going out like this, crushed by a hundred foot marshmallow man. <laughs> oh, Great and see, movie. that's original stuff. So I was hoping that there could be, you know, especially since Ivan Reitman was kind of a consulting producer to help with Jason, helped him write it, I believe. Didn't he get a co writing credit or was he, it just based on I the think story? It was just by based Ivan on Reitman. his story. I think Ivan Reitman had as much to do with this as the original Ghostbusters had to do with fighting Gozer at the end of the movie. I think. Okay. I, I think they're there. I think he was there. But but Jason Reitman's a very successful director and producer and writer in his own in his own stead. So, well, and I'll give him credit. I, I liked what he made. I liked what he made. But when all this is said and done, I think I'm going to give it. I think I gave it three out of four stars. So I, I liked it a lot more. Um, my nitpicks weren't really big nitpicks. They were just more like, darn it. I I, I wonder if there couldn't have been something else but yeah. i'm with you i'd have loved to have seen it as a 10-part series then everybody could have their moment the classics could come back you could find out what they're doing and then when they're finally reunited for a battle against gozer it kind of feels like all of them have earned the right to be there it's not rushed it's not a a, a slam a man at the end like a sticker on a package it's a bring them together and you get to see that individual story arc for each character. Right. And then if we don't use the other original Ghostbusters anymore after that, we ha- and that's what <laughs> it's the same thing with the legacy Star Wars characters. I, you just kind of wanted to see the stuff that they did. You know, we got to see Luke up to a point and then we really wanted to see him after that point. And then instead we jumped so far ahead that my I, I've said this in multiple podcasts. I just when it's all said and done, there's a part of me that wishes we had just met Ray and Kylo and Poe and Finn and all those guys separate completely from the legacy characters. Like they're their right. own thing. They're all they're They're later, uh, you know, Luke and Leia and those died 50 years ago. And now you could even have Palpatine come back then, honestly, 50 years later, if he's going to come back, it doesn't matter when he comes back. The question I always ask uh, with nostalgia projects like this is, do I love it because, like James Bond and Indiana Jones are perfect examples of this, do I love it because it's a Bond movie or do I love it because it's a good movie? And, and I Yeah, think those are in, not always the same thing. Right. Like, I, I loved Force Awakens even though it was a Star Wars movie, right? I would have loved that all by itself. Um, I loved Rogue One for the same reason. Like the fact that it was a Star Wars movie on top of being a great movie is just icing on the cake. And I think Ghostbusters falls into that category. I loved this movie all by itself. Even if it hadn't been a Ghostbusters movie, I think it was a great movie. Uh, the fact that it was a Ghostbusters and it was just you know heavily peppered with Easter eggs and nostalgia as a fan, a super fan of the of the of the franchise. I, I four out of four stars, man. I I couldn't have asked for anything more. Okay, and that's fair. I'm I I'm I accept your reasons. And I think that those are <laughs> well. No, I think that they're good logical reasons. You brought that up. I'm not sure that I can separate sometimes the good movie from the fan of the movie. It's like especially with some of these legacy projects that are so ingrained. Like if they did another Back to the Future movie now, 
Of course I'd want to see Marty. Of course I'd want to see Doc. But how hard would it be to see Michael J. Fox with Parkinson's trying to be Marty, where he was so energetic, so youthful and all those things that seeing him now in, you know, and Michael J. Fox has actually done a pretty good job of getting some things back to normal soundies. I don't mean the in the sense that it probably comes out. In his public public image. Yeah, and and the public appearances that I've seen him do, you know, he doesn't sound that far off. There was a time, I want to say, in the early to late 2000s where he was really struggling with Parkinson's and it was, you know, he really sounded different. But he's had a couple of shows, I want to say, since then. And at any rate, it wouldn't be the same. Like, if they do, we've missed the window I think for some of my favorite 80s projects to do them in a way that I would really love Mandalorian figured out a way to get um, CGI Skywalker CGI Mar- <laughs> yeah, CGI Mark Hamill and that was really cool and that was well done and and they should use it if they're going to do that use it sparingly and Boba Fett even though he's old is a, is still a, is is still an awesome character so. right and and you it's believable he's 30 years from when he was the little kid and he's supposed to look genetically exactly like his dad so having Tamira Morrison it would have been harder if Tamira Morrison had played Boba Fett in 1980 in yeah, you, you're, you're talking Jeremy Bullock showing right, up being Boba right. Fett now and so it actually worked by having the prequel come out later. You can have the same actor for that huge time jump without it feeling something's not right here because there's just a part of you that will, and maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience. There's a part of me that will always like, yeah, but that's not, uh, uh, that's not how I pictured it happening. Exactly. They can never get it exactly right. And so I'm okay with flawed performances because you know, I believe Ghostbusters heart in the right place. Tell a story that relates to the old one. Your daughter is a perfect example. Your daughter loved it. Oh, she 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 loved it. She's seven years old and she loved it. And I thought that this was a more kid friendly version of Ghostbusters. We mentioned that earlier. I think that's wise. I really do. Yeah, totally. And my kid, you know, she's uh, you know, she's seven years old. She wants a microscope and a rock tumbler for Christmas. I mean, she's she's totally uh, yeah, right. She's totally <laughs> a science kid. Um, and to her credit, like I asked her, I'm like, I'm like, wasn't it cool that they had a, a, a you know, a, a girl Ghostbuster? She's like, oh, I was just excited that it was a kid telling adults to read books. Like she didn't even put the girl, <laughs> that's awesome. uh, the, the girl guy thing together, which I thought was fun. Well, that's cool. So uh, overall, Ghostbusters Afterlife, worth it. I agree that it's better than Ghostbusters Answer the Call, but I always want to qualify that saying I did not hate Answer the Call. <laughs> I didn't hate it. So, I didn't finish it, so I didn't get oh, through the whole thing. Oh, man. So did you see all the can- – I mean, Bill Murray was in that one. He got yeah, killed in it. No, it's funny. Just, uh, Ray just, was in it. It Winston just wasn't my was thing. In it. Harold Ramis' bust was in it. It just wasn't my thing. That's all. It, <laughs> Fair I, enough. I like. Fair I enough. love Kristen Wiig. I love, uh, I love Lutzi Jones. I can't stand uh, – what's her face? The other one. Kate McKinnon. Uh, I cannot stand Kate McKinnon. And I don't know why. I have no logical reason for not liking anything that she does. I'm sure she's a lovely person, but everything she's in, I absolutely despise. I just hate it. <laughs> I think she's funny. And Chris Hemsworth, if nothing else, we got comedic Chris Hemsworth, which really helped with Thor Ragnarok and having it be able to go in the direction that it did. Because Taika Waititi admitted when he saw Hemsworth acting comedic chops in Ghostbusters, he really knew he could do something creative with uh, Ragnarok a couple of years later. So we have that thanks to the Ghostbusters. Really weird way to do it, but that's what we got. So, well, John Smith, thank you so much for joining us here on Fan Effect for this episode as we talk Ghostbusters. You will, by the way, this is an order. 
you will be back <laughs> at the end of the year because we have had a Karate Kid slash Cobra Kai podcast that has been percolating for over a year now. And when season four of Cobra Kai hits at the end of December, you will watch it. You won't wait six months this time. <laughs> we will make it happen, Captain. And we will talk Karate Kid. And hopefully we'll find some other reasons to get you on, too. But I'm just putting this in stone right now. So let it be written. So let it be done. You will be on for the Cobra Kai podcast. I've got you in my I've got you in my Franklin Day planner. <laughs> John Smith, Era 103.5 uh, on the FM dial in Salt Lake City. Uh, Era 103.5 uh, on, what's your guys' website? 1035thearrow.com. 1035thearrow.com. Morning show host. John, we're grateful to have you on. Uh, every week, uh, you and I talk uh, movies on Era 103.5 Friday mornings. Three things uh, from our traffic guy, Andy Farnsworth. <laughs> yeah, three things. That's funny. <laughs> We've never gotten that far because if you're if you're still with us at this point, an hour and nine minutes in, uh, <laughs> you know how how much Andy and I just get way off topic. So. And yes, we bounce things off very well. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Fan Effect. That's Fan Effect with an E, a KSL News Radio podcast beyond sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, and tech. We're excited to share with you our knowledge and arguments on everything pop culture and fandom related. Based in the beautiful Beehive State, Fan Effect celebrates Utah's unique fan culture, and we're excited to bring you local guests that feel the same way. I'm your host for the day, Andy Farnsworth, for Kellyanne Halverson, who had to step away, and of course, John Smith. Uh, thanks for being uh, here and listening. Remember to listen regularly on your favorite platform at kslnewsradio.com, kslpodcast.com, or on the KSL News Radio app. If you have a fun idea or a local fan culture topic you'd like us to explore, let us know by messaging our Facebook page at Fan Effect Show, where you can also get the latest nerdly updates and join the conversation on Instagram and Twitter at Fan Effect Show as well. Thanks again for listening. We hope to have you back real soon for another episode of Fan Effect. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.